0: Good morning. All right, we'll go ahead and uh, get started. I'll open us up in prayer, and we'll go from there. Uh, Dear Lord, thank you for the time again today to be able to look at your story and be able to see how it complements so well the story that you have given to each and every one of us. And so, Lord, again, continue to be upon our hearts through our study today as you give us the opportunity to be able to hear your calling, to be able to come to your eternal home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This will be the last one, thank you for asking. Uh, I'll do another one later on, I'm sure, but as we enter into the time of Lent now, uh, we'll, we'll postpone. So yeah, this will be the last one in this segment, and I'll probably continue to do them like that in different blocks, then that seems to, to work out well, I think, for people coming, and uh, just to be honest, for me as well. So uh, today, Uh, The study that we look at, again, based off of uh, the sermon that we have today, or that you will hear in just a little bit from now, it's a much smaller segment of time, chapter 19. It's actually only about uh, 22 years or so. So a lot of the content we have today is more compressed than some of the other chapters that we look at that, you know, maybe many, many decades of content that are, are there. So some of the things you'll hear today are probably a little repetitive from our uh, sermon uh, today, but that's okay. It'll kind of uh, knock the point home. So just briefly uh, to look at that time period, uh, we're right in the 500s now. So about 538 B.C. is where chapter 19 starts and it concludes at about 516 B.C. uh, For review, remember the Israelites have been in uh, captivity for about 70 years. So it's been quite some time that they've been taken over. And this would include all the different individuals that we've heard about uh, in like last week's chapter. We talked about Daniel and talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, those would have been individuals who would have been captured during that time period and basically spent most of their life from young teenagers up until basically their time of death in that role of captivity. And as they pass on this new time opens up. And so today we begin with that in this uh, really opening time of the return home. As Pastor Mark mentioned in our sermon, that's what it's all about, the people being able to go home. And so we start with chapter 19, uh, the very first sentence there, which is also uh, chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of Ezra, with God acting in the lives of his people. Uh, I'll read that verse. It says in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. Uh, I like that opening verse because notice that it hints back all the way to where we looked at the story of Jeremiah in which God gives his people the promise that they will be in captivity, but God is going to come and give them those plans that he has declared for them, for them to be able to prosper, for them to be a nation again. And so all of that comes to a head today in this first verse, in which God moves the heart of this new king and says, I want you to allow the people to be able to build the temple again, to be able to return home. It's a really amazing piece of scripture. It's easy just to jump by that first verse. But look how God uses uh, somebody who is super powerful within the world to be able to take his people and his mission and to be able to accomplish that. This isn't King Cyrus doing this on his own. Uh, That's something important for us to remember. It's God working that within people. And that's important for you and I to always be able to remember too in the things that we do in this world. Even uh, the, the best of us with the best of intentions are still under that authority of God acting in our lives. Uh, when we serve our neighbor, when we share about who Jesus is in our lives, all of those things are God acting in us to be able to encourage us to be able to do that. That's not just me doing that or deciding I'm going to be this great disciple of the Lord. I am acting, but only upon God's calling. God is always the first one to be able to act and to be able to call in our lives. And then we have that opportunity to be able to respond. That's the same when we take communion. God invites us to go to communion. You don't invite yourself when we pray to God, God has invited us to be able to pray to him. You don't invite yourself to be able to pray. And it's the same as we open up our chapter today. King Cyrus doesn't do this on his own. God acts and calls him and allows him to be able to respond to this. And so King Cyrus then acts in verse 2. It says, this is what, king, uh, what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build the temple for him at Jerusalem and Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. And so he encourages the people to be able to go and to build this uh, temple. Cyrus is going to even foot the bill. He says, as we go on, for all this reconstruction, he says, take whatever you need, any finances that you have, all the gold and silver. Uh, A lot of this, remember, is probably gold and silver that actually was ransacked from Jerusalem in the first place. Remember, when the temple is destroyed, it says that they plunder the whole thing, they take it back. So a lot of this is the returning, even, of God's resources unto him. Uh, The Jews didn't do anything uh, to be able to cause them to return to their homeland. It's all God that continues to be able to do this, inspiring these different uh, people. Remember, God's temple was destroyed. That was the story of uh, King Nebuchadnezzar that we we talked about. That was like in 586 BC, when all of that is broken down, and now we see this, this construction again. And so God has this passion for his temple to be constructed. And I put that as a question today. Why is that? Why does God have a passion for his temple to be able to be restored? So let's look at a couple different reasons today. Because remember, God allowed his temple to be torn down. He could have stopped that. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. But he allows it to be torn down, but he really wants it to be rebuilt. First of all, God has a passion to dwell among his people, Uh, This is a scripture passage from Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet He will quiet you by His love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Uh, All throughout scripture, of every one of these stories that we've looked at, God always wants to be with his people. It's the story from the very beginning when he's with Adam and Eve in the garden. And it says that God walks with them in the cool of the day. That he seeks to be able to be with them. And this is fun for us to be able to remember too. Because every Sunday that we gather for our time of worship in God's house, in God's temple, it's the same thing. That God yearns to be able to be with us. This is a special time to be able to come together and worship. And so that's one main reason why God wants this temple to be restored. Not that God can't gather with the people in the middle of the wilderness. We see that. Not that God can't gather with us any point in our daily lives outside of here. However, he does call us, remember, to honor the Sabbath day, to keep it holy, to be able to be in a special time, a special place, where we can focus on God. And that's important. That we as a people, throughout all time, have always had a place and a time to be able to focus on God, in the time where God especially meets with us. And the temple really is like this picture of God's uh, passion for us as His as His people. So the second reason the temple uh, was important is because there's a, a problem that God has to address. The problem that God faces is that he is 100% holy and that we, as his people, or the Jews as the people in chapter 19, are not. Obviously, they are, they are sinful people, and there is that sin that separates man from God, and so this leads to God's solution, which is uh, point number two there. The second reason is that the temple is this piece of God's solution to sin, There has to be something that provides a solution of sin to close that gap from people being sinful to God being completely holy. And how does that happen? Well, that happened in the temple. In Hebrews chapter 9, we read, uh, "...the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of the heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean to sanctify them or to make them holy so that they are outwardly clean." How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? I like that passage, and I selected that one because it brings together uh, the story of the Old Testament, of why the people are building the temple, and the story of our testament, or the, the New Testament as well, introducing Christ as that sacrifice, One of the reasons the temple is so important is because the people at this time have to have a place to be able to have sacrifices made on their behalf. Remember, it is these sacrifices that are serving at this point in history as that in-between for them and God on behalf of their sins to make them clean. Jesus has not arrived in the flesh as we know it on that beautiful christmas morning yet at this point jesus has not gone to the cross yet at this point jesus has not come out of the grave at this point he has not been sacrificed for their sins now remember when jesus is sacrificed super clear in scripture that that sacrifice is for all sins throughout all time, from the very beginning when Adam and Eve were deceived in the garden to the very last day on this earth, whenever that happens. But this bridge that the people have during that time is that sacrifice in the temple. They were always looking forward to the promise of that ultimate sacrifice that that would come. They just don't know what that day is or what that looks like. For you and I today, we have the privilege of being able to look back on Christ. We still look forward. We look forward to the day that he will come again. And his sacrifice at this point provides for cleanliness of all of our sin. And finally, he will come back to be able to take us home, or we will pass on in this earth, and we will go home to be able to be with him. But that passage in Hebrews really brings that forth of why that was so important for the people to have this place to be able to do it uh, rightly, uh, do it in order, uh, do it in a manner that was respectful to God, that was holy, all these ways that God had uh, been able to set up. So even though God allows the temple to be destroyed, he allows it to be uh, brought up again. However, the people, as they're building the temple, get off track. God has acted King Cyrus has acted. The people were acting, but now the people stop acting. Things are going well, but they start to lose focus. Uh, What was important to God starts becoming very trivial for the people that are about there. So for about 10 years, the work all of a sudden on the temple just stops. They come to this point where the people start focusing on all these other things. And so they, they basically stop, it's probably about the year 526 uh, is when, when that stops. They halt that construction and years go by. This isn't just like a, a month or two where the people are taking a break. These years go by where they're not working uh, on the temple and they have a di- very different focus in their life. And this is one I think too for us to just pause for a moment and think about as well. The things that God calls us to as his people, as Christians in this world, but the things that maybe sometimes we, we put aside and we, we wait on, that we don't follow through, that we place as second. Things that are very, very important to God and that he allows us to be able to be a part of But sometimes maybe we just don't take the time to be able to do that. It's not that we're worshiping Satan or something like that. It's just the fact that we're becoming idle. We get distracted in life. And I think often uh, Satan uses that both for the people in chapter 19 and also for us to be a major pull away from God. Just small distractions, right? It doesn't have to be this big thing where you've committed this this horrific sin. I have confirmation with the kids uh, this afternoon, and when I work with them, when we go through the Ten Commandments, we always talk about what the Ten Commandments tell us that we should not do, but at the same time, the Ten Commandments actually tell us what we should do as well. You can read uh, Thou Shall Not Murder and say, oh, I'm never going to do that You know, I'm good on that one. Don't even need to to look at it. No way I'm ever going to murder somebody. But then we see that even in Scripture, Jesus says that if we say that we hate our brother or have that hatred in our heart, we have failed at that commandment. And then you say, okay, well, I have broken that commandment. But there's another side to that. Another side to that commandment is the things that we should do for our neighbor, the ways that we should lift them up. The things that we should offer to them, the good we should do in the world. And often we become so distracted, we forget the things that we should do that God calls us to. It's not the sins that we're committing. Sometimes it's the acts of God that we're omitting from our lives. And this is an important one for us to think about. What are the things in my life that I omit sometimes, that I could be called or I could place time into? Because it's easy to get distracted in things of this world. Doing a project at your house is not bad. It is not. Whether you are doing it yourself, you're hiring a contractor to do it, that is not bad. However, allowing that to be something that is more of a priority or completely distracting us from God's calling, then it starts to get in the way. Then it becomes more important to us. And that's with anything. This just happens to be the case for the Jewish people that they start focusing on their, on their own homes. All right, so let's continue to move there. Uh, God has this plan then to be able to refocus his people, and that comes in uh, Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 at the bottom of the first page there. It says, in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai Is it a time, (coughs) excuse me, for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruin? God comes and he really, uh, you know, he calls the, the people out. He says, who is deciding? You are the ones saying, you know what? It's probably not time to build God's house. It can, it can wait. It's already waited 70 years, right? It was already built once and got torn down. Our kids can build it. Another generation can take this over. I need to be able to work on my house. But God says, who are you to be able to say these things? Uh, That last line there, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in paneled houses while this house remains in ruin? What is most important to you, God says? Is it most important that your house is constructed or that God's house is constructed? And remember, it wasn't just the, the facade or the decor of the temple. It was what happened in there. The sacrifice for their sins. What's more important? the sacrifice for your sins or that your house gets built. Again, back to our story. What's more important, the sacrifice that Jesus has made on our behalf or the other things in this world that we go after? So God speaks through this prophet Haggai, and he goes on to explain uh, a few different things to the people. And you know, sometimes God sends different seasons Of trial into our lives or allows us to be able to go through this, to be able to be pulled back to his purpose. And this is what he does uh, through this prophet. Haggai 1, verses 5 through 7. Uh, Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thoughts to your ways. And He mentions that twice, right? Give careful thoughts. What are you doing with the things that you have, the stuff that you have? I can tell you right now, you're never going to get your fill. You can eat all you want, never going to be full. You can drink all you want, you're still going to be thirsty. You can earn all you want. That purse will eventually have nothing left in it. And we all know this story, all of us, that we go after things in this world over and above God to be able to solve whatever issue it is or circumstance that we're facing. But in the end, none of them sustain us, none of them completely provide for us. Give careful thoughts. To your ways, God is telling the people that if you want to do your own thing, you can, but actually do not expect blessings to be able to fall upon you. Don't expect that you're going to put God second and that he's going to continually be able to take care of you in every single way. If what is important to God uh, becomes trivial for you and I, God wants us to get back in line. He does. And this is just one of the penalties of sin within our world, that we face these things all the time, the the temptations, the trip-ups. And today, still in our world, you and I face all of these things, all of the different problems that come from sin. So Haggai continues. He says, Go up to the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expect much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains in ruin. Why, each of you is so busy with your own house. I love that word, busy. It's not even necessarily that this, all this effort is happening. You're just busy with it. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. God tells the people, he says, I'm just going to take a little time out here. I'm going to put a pause to everything that exists at this point that you are being blessed with. Pastor Mark did a good Job in the sermon today addressing uh, this element that why would God allow people to continue to thrive? Look at the wine we have, look at the olive oil we have, look at the gold and silver we have, so that people on the outside can say, These people aren't even honoring their God, but they're still receiving all these things. Why would we honor their God? If you can get all these things, we'll just go after them in the world. And you can. But God, remember, tells us that even when you do after those things, when you receive that harvest, when you receive that fill, it is never going to sustain you. It is never going to fill you up. There is only one thing that's going to be able to do that. And so there are consequences for not following God. Uh, The people have forgotten their initial passion. Uh, They don't see the same thing uh, that... uh, Is going on that uh, God sees and often I think as I mentioned before we do this exact same uh, thing in our lives that we we go after something and after a while it becomes old all of us have done this Uh, maybe you have the best of intentions it's even to better yourself and if you don't commit to it it begins to fade I have some family members uh, that I went over to their home they were so excited they got these new uh, Peloton bikes, and uh, they had them there set up at their house, kind of looking out the, the window, and they were saying, this is the year, we're going we're to get back in shape, we're going to be com- you know, uh, committed to our fitness, and I said, good for you, that's, that's wonderful, and I went back to their house. And uh, they were using the bikes as like clothes hangers. They had, they had clothes hanging, all, I mean, all over these things. One of them looked like a drying rack and the other one looked like the ironing station. I said, what happened? <laughs> uh, oh, we haven't been so good about that. You know, sometimes we have these, these really good intentions in our mind for Lord, you know, Lord, I'm gonna get back in shape with you. You know, I'm gonna commit to you. And then, then other things come into our lives, maybe just daily things, the laundry of your life that always has to be done and it's not a bad thing it needs to be taken care of but when that laundry moves from the the laundry room and that busyness overflows into your master bedroom and starts covering the commitments that you you had that were so important until they just don't become important anymore this is what happens with the people of israel with the the jewish people and as we know it's the same thing That happens uh, to us. The people had forgotten their initial passion. Uh, And so as a result of this testing that God kind of takes all this stuff away to wrap this up, uh, the people do come back to God and they recognize that. Just as we should recognize, I need to be able to get on this piece of equipment and use it for what it's intended for. They come back to the temple and say, you know what? We need to use the things that God has given to us. All these elements Uh, our talents, and we need to build up God's house as he has called us to. And sure enough, the people get on track. They get fulfilled again with God's purpose, and on March 12th of 516 BC, the temple is complete. They build it up again. It's not as uh, maybe glamorous as the temple that was once created that Solomon had, but God isn't necessarily about all this glam. He's about where the people have this place to meet. It's clean, it's orderly, and it has a purpose. And I was trying to figure out how to summarize this entire uh, chapter, and you probably already know it. In its most simplistic form, I wrote down there, Jesus calls us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and God will take care of all the rest. And it's the same for God, the heavenly father with all the people today. He says, come on, Put my house first, your place of worship first, the sacrifice first, and all these things will follow. And that's true. This isn't a prosperity gospel. This isn't saying if you come to church here, let's say 49 Sundays out of the year, and let's say you give 7% of your income, we won't even put the the bar super high. Then God is going to take care of everything. He will, maybe not the way that we want, remember that. God will always take care of us. It's amazing when you focus on the Lord how much everything else in this world begins to fade, begins to not look, is is so important. How the busyness of our life is taken away. When I came by here yesterday, uh, there is a, a couple, I see them here every Saturday, They come and they they do landscaping at the church on Scottsdale Road, on all of our bushes. Almost nobody knows. They're here every Saturday for hours and hours and hours. There are so many plants here cleaning up. They could be at their house cleaning up. They could be doing whatever they wanted to. They could be playing golf, the two of them together. But they take their time to be able to come here and see that this is God's house and to be able to dedicate. And they're so happy about it. They're out there smiling, clipping these bushes. They're getting cuts on their arms. They don't care. Doesn't matter if it's cold. Doesn't matter if they're hot. They're here because they're serving the Lord. And that has become such a priority to them. And so we challenge all of us then, too. What is that priority for God, for us in our life? Not just here at our church, but in our communities, because people see that in our communities, in our neighborhood, with our family members, to be able to make sure we're always using that example of putting Christ first in our life, and knowing that God will take care of the rest. Think about it. How many more years do you have here left on this earth? Whatever it may be. Think about how many years you have left in heaven. Centuries that God has already provided for you. Millennia in eternity that waits for you. What can we do to be busy for our Lord here on earth today? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the offering that you have given to us uh, through Jesus, that perfect sacrifice for all people for all time. Allow us, Lord, to be able to return home to you today uh, here on this earth, to be able to know of the commitment you have made for each and every one of us, and the promise and the guarantee that you have to be able to take us to our eternal home one day, to be able to be with you in peace and uh, perfection and just to be able to praise you and give you glory for all the opportunities you have provided here on this earth. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.